Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I have Hannah Bauer on the podcast and I'm excited to talk to her about her life as an athlete, as a fitness professional, and as a mom. I think we're going to really have a great focus on talking about athlete brain and how that has showed up for us in so many different categories and life experiences. So Hannah, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am honored and it's going to be a good time. Absolutely. (laughs) Give us a little bit of a background about who you are, like what your athletic background is, all of that stuff. Yeah. So I grew up in a home that was pretty sport driven. So I did diving, gymnastics and track growing up, predominantly focused on gymnastics. I went the whole whole, like club route, quick club, and then discovered that I still wanted to do it collegiately and then went on to do it collegiately. And yeah, there's that's a whole can of worms going into all the sports. But yeah, gymnastics was my main my main focus until I had a career ending injury that dislocated both elbows. And then I had reconstructive surgery simultaneously that um, ended my career. So, <laughs> and how old were you when that injury happened? So I was going into my sophomore year of college. So I was tw- twenty years old. Twenty. It's all blurry. It's all kind of mushed. <laughs> and was that like in practice or was that at a competition? Like, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So it was two weeks before season. We were doing kind of like a mock trial. We had like scouts in too. So it was kind of like you're supposed to have a practice on performance for all the the girls to see like what they can get into. And um, it's a little bit of like a pressure practice session. And I was doing a release move on the uneven bars. Um, I had caught it all summer. There was never a blip. And this one time I rotated a little bit too much, missed my grip. Um, And when I came down, my arms were in front of me and both of them just popped out. And it was, yeah. That's devastating. If that's, especially like gymnasts, like you guys spend your whole life training gymnastics. Like that is very much your personality and identity. It is. I went through a major identity crisis after that. So I wasn't able to stay there. My parents brought me home back to Colorado State. I finished off school there, but there was this major depression. I hit rock bottom. Um, All of like the insecurities you have as a gymnast that are kind of infiltrated just within like the social aspect of gymnastics, like having a perfect body, being very fit. The body dysmorphia really just came out tenfold because I went from practicing 30 hours a week, you know, and training to not being able to really train. And I used food as comfort and binging. And so I gained a ton of weight. And then I was like, who am I outside of sports? I've done this since I was eight years old. I wasn't an athlete anymore. I didn't know who I was. And there was just a major breaking point of trying to figure out like, wh- who, what do I do? What's what's my purpose in life now if I can't be an athlete? And it was a really, really, really dark time in my life. Um, that whole entire year trying to pick myself back up and move the pieces along. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's such an identity crisis that happens for all college athletes when their career ends, but especially when your career ends, not on your own terms. Like that's like yes. a whole other layer. Like everyone mm-hmm. kind of grieves a little bit or feels like, who am I? What do I do? Where do I put my energy, my focus, my, my identity, all of yeah. that schedule yeah. routine? How do I recraft what that looks like post competing or being a student athlete? But especially when it's not on your own terms. Yeah, it just feels like it's stolen from you. Not having that choice is, is it kind of like plays games with your mind. So how did you pick yourself up? I know you moved home. So I'm assuming you had the support of your family, but what else went into that process of like yeah. crafting your life? So it, it honestly got worse. So when I came back home, um, making friends, like trying to figure out where I was at, I ended up, um, there was a sexual assault after that. And then I got in a car crash that should have killed me. Um, I rolled my car 40 feet off of a cliff up in the mountains. Um, didn't have my seatbelt on and I should have died. And so this was just kind of like a major wake up call in my life of like, I can continue to try to live in the past and constantly try to be like, what if, what if, what if, what if I stayed it? What if I didn't hurt my elbows? What if, you know, I didn't go to practice that day or all of these things of trying to live in the past and stay there. And I realized I was missing out so much the current life I was living and actually the smalls that were going okay. And the like living is the best thing for me. And so then I just started doing the things that kind of brought me joy. I started um, because I have a car <laughs> and um, I had to get around campus and go to work. I r- rode my bike everywhere. So I started riding my bike and just like those five, 10 minute bike rides started feeling like I got endorphins with it, even though like I was it was begrudging and being in winter and riding your bike in snow. Like there was part of me that was thrilled about getting back into exercise. And so I started doing exercise and movement um, and a way of punishing myself too, trying to get back in shape, trying to pick up the pieces and re going back to what I used to do that worked, but realizing it wasn't fulfilling me anymore. So I tried reframing all of the things that I got to do now. I get to ride my bike and go to work. I get to go to school. I get to learn. I get to have freedom that I never once had as an athlete. I get to have all of these things. So I was focusing on the things that I could control and that I did have. And slowly that started becoming like more of the reality. And then it just faded into this is working. I am happy. And I then I met my husband a little bit later and that really like completely flipped my my life. Wow. So you had a career ending sport injury, a sexual assault and an act car accident that should have taken your life. And you were able to use small bouts of movement to climb out of rock bottom. Now, was yes. your body physically injured in the car wreck or was it just truly like a miracle? No, uh, it, it was it was truly a miracle. Um, I smashed the windshield with my head and I walked out with just a couple scrapes and bruises, a minor concussion. Um, the police department and everyone was like beyond stunned. I remember walking into like the whole story is just wild. But I remember because I was DDing for everybody and um, we left my car at the scene and went back to the partying scene because it was graduation and all that. And so the next morning, we're like, we'll just go get my car thinking I could drive home. And I go there and the car's missing. And so we had to go to the police station and I was reported as a missing persons because they found the car, the crash scene, everything was strewn out. They called my parents saying like, she's missing. So it was like this big ordeal. Um, I get there and I'm like, okay, I'm here to pick up my car. And they just laughed in my face like, oh no, honey, (laughs) your car is completely totaled. Like you are not driving 
it anymore. It's, it was, and then I have, I, I'm a klutz. I lock my keys out of my car all the time. Um, and so I had a rear fender magnet in the back key. And inside of that was my, you know, those silly bracelets that we used to have was my silly bracelet. And that was inside my car at the time. So when I asked them, like, did you guys take anything or move anything around? And they said it was a crime scene. Whatever we had, we put in a bag and sealed off. So to see my angel that used to be on the dashboard in the magnetic key um, that was under my car was just just and that like my life does have purpose and there was a meaning behind it all. So, yeah, I mean, that's like such a hard reality check. And then also kind of like forces you to see that like you have the second chance of a different opportunity to redefine what your life looks like. So then also mentioned, and if you're un, if you're uncomfortable talking about this, you can just shut me up. (laughs) Sexual assault. And I'd love if you're open to sharing about that, sharing about that, because there are so many women that listen to this podcast who've also experienced some form of sexual trauma. And that shows up so hardcore later in life through uh-huh. pregnancy, Marriage. birth, yes. and all of that. So if you're willing to talk about it. Yeah, I no, I, um, I have gone to therapy for it in depth for a long time. So I'm in a place now where it's like, I can talk about it pretty freely. Um, yeah, so I I was sexually assaulted. Um, I, I actually lost my virginity this way um, by someone I trusted. And I think a lot of people can understand knowing your, your salient. Um, but it destroyed me. I grew up in a very conservative Christian home where like purity culture was kind of pushed. And so losing something that was like almost like cultish, you know, um, so much pride and purity, it like destroyed me. I felt broken. I felt tainted. I felt, um, tarnished all of the shame and it really impacted my confidence. It impacted my self-worth. I thought like, there's no way that anyone's going to actually want to date me or marry me and all of those things. So that on top of like losing my sport and my identity, I just felt like a boulder was on top of me and there's no way I could escape. Um, And then I like kind of went on a, like a promiscuous era of trying to get attention to feel loved um, and seeking out validation, trying to find some sort of worth. Like I am attractive. I am beautiful. See, this guy's flirting with me at the bar, like all of these things, but it wasn't fulfilling. And it like almost made that insecurities even worse because you only know, like there's, you're seeking the wrong attention. Um, And then one day my husband walked into my life and my world completely shifted. Um, there was immediate trust and there was immediate safety. And that was the first time I ever felt that. Um, but like you fast forward dating and all of these things, we were getting serious. And there was part of me that felt like the intimacy was wrong. And so there was this really naive feeling like, okay, well, if I'm supposed to marry him, sex should be easy. If he's the right person, I should want to have sex. I should want to be intimate. And um, that's when I realized that I need to seek therapy um, if I want to be whole for my husband and I want to heal those demons in my past and I want to experience intimacy the beautiful way it is, I've got to face demons that I didn't want to, didn't want to even look at. And that was the start of my, um, like healing journey. So I am 100% go, go heal. Uh, therapy is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. There are so many versions of therapy, different kinds of therapy, um, that can heal that trauma. and then. Fast forward a little bit more. I thought I dealt with it. It was kind of good. Pregnancy and children brought out like 
a whole new like chunk of trauma that I didn't realize I didn't address. So I was like, oh, I thought I healed that. Right. And then it clawed out. And I was like, oh no, I still have healing to do. So bottom line is like, don't feel like you're broken if you don't want to be intimate with someone you love. Um, and having a supportive husband or partner is really, really important during that journey. Like getting them to understand your perspective and what you're going through can really help them not feel rejected. Because I know there's that tension within marriage and um, sex can be a really big deal if the communication, the trust and the openness isn't isn't there. Absolutely. So. And I think we see so many women and mothers struggle with trauma or shame attached to intimacy, pleasure, anything like that. So thanks for sharing. And I know we'll tap into like yeah. the motherhood experiences. Um soon, but I wanted to kind of continue off of like, just sort of telling your story of like, you met your husband, you did a lot of work, you're rebuilding your life and you found fitness. So were you now starting to like work within the fitness industry or what were you doing? How did you get involved in or being a trainer? So I, my undergrad is exercise science, um, with a master's in like sports medicine. Um, and I originally wanted to go into like PA school, but once I graduated, I was done with school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went back to my roots and started coaching gymnastics. Um, and within that, I was also like personal training some of the moms at the gym. So I would condition the girls, train the girls, um, and some of the moms that I would work with while I was coaching gymnastics. Um, but I quickly realized like it was not kind of like what I wanted to do. And during this whole entire process, my husband encouraged me to just share my journey on social media, um, just the raw authentic parts, because my history with gymnastics and seeing like models and like the body dysmorphia and then understanding that like my body can look like those bodies, but also like, quote unquote, like a normal body. I started sharing like I can look like this and I can also look like this before it became like a like a viral thing. I was just sharing like my body in all shapes and forms and my workouts and what I was doing. So I originally wanted to be like a, um, like a commercial athlete to do like back springs and like, you know, modeling type that way. But it ended up taking off in a much different way than I ever anticipated through fitness. And so once I realized that I loved sharing the journey and I loved um, showing people that they're worthy and getting out of the darkness or whatever they're at through loving and celebrating their body rather than punishing it and um, wanting to change everything about it. I went and got certified as a personal trainer. Um, and then about three years after coaching gymnastics, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, the politics of it is just, I love coaching, but dealing with the parents and the politics was just too much. And then my husband encouraged me to go full time, just uh, like social media aspect um, and personal training that way. So that's kind of how it happened in a nutshell. Yeah, and that's awesome. And you've built a really successful um, business within the fitness industry, and you've built that up through the years. And then you decided that it was time to become a mom. So what was that? Like? Yeah, <laughs> that was shocking. So I, uh, we actually got pregnant on our wedding weekend. I like, I, yeah, it was a, it was a kind of an oopsie. I did not even anticipate like the possibility of getting pregnant. My mind was thinking six months from now we'll start trying for kids. So got pregnant right away and it was, um, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in because at the time it was like, how is this going to impact like my career? I didn't feel ready to be a mom. It brought out a lot of feelings of brokenness right away. And that's when I realized I had to go back to therapy for sexual trauma still. 
Um, and then, then I learned that because I had a platform and because I had a responsibility of being um, sharing my journey, I wanted to know everything about pregnancy and training because, you know, I had no idea really. You always hear like, just continue training. Like if you move, you move. And that just, that goes into the whole like snowball effect of diving into that world and almost being angry at my past education for not teaching anything about it or the deep core and the pelvic floor, like all of it. And it just, my world was opened and I discovered I had a huge passion for just wanting to get information out to empower moms during these journeys because it's a, a section where moms are not supported at all. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> I might yeah. I might agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you went through your pregnancy. You shared a lot about that. Overall, I mean, mentally and emotionally was a challenging season for you or did it start to improve as pregnancy went on? How did that feel? Yeah, no. So I got SP really early on at like nine weeks. I was doing a side lunge and I felt like someone took a jackhammer to my crotch and I could hardly walk. So it like movement has always been a place of um, escape for me and just helping keeping me like sane. And so I was like stressing that I would not be able to move during my pregnancy, be healthy. Like it really took an impact on my mental health. And I went to my OB and I was like, I can't walk. This is not like, it hurts to walk, you know? And she just told me like, sorry, it's normal. Like it's normal pregnancy. And I was like, this can't yeah. be normal. I have a very high pain tolerance. And I literally like, I'm cr like, I can't even walk up the stairs without like wanting to cry. Um, and so that made me even more pissed off about the care. And like, I knew it wasn't normal. There had to be something I could do to help minimize the pain and like at least like make it manageable. So I went to a chiropractor. I went, met some PTs and I finally was able to, it never went away once I came and it was really hard, but I was able to manage it and like train with a lot of accommodations. And so once I learned that I could train and it just looked different and shifting my mindset and like understanding like as long as I can move, as long as I can be healthy, it doesn't matter the kind of training I'm doing. Um, that really, really helped. And then I ended up learning to love pregnancy and I started enjoying it despite some of the discomfort. Um, and then right, like shortly after birth, within like a couple of weeks, it was completely gone. Yeah. So yeah, that was wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take that. This is like a teaching opportunity for anyone listening. If you have like pubic symphysis dysfunction, that can feel like a sharp shooting pain, like you said, straight up, like through your vagina or like your pubic bone area. So even getting in and out of the car, walking upstairs, um, rolling in bed like, end of my pregnancy was getting out of the bathtub. I just like literally was stuck there. I was like, Jared, yeah. I can't move like between a huge yeah. baby and that, <laughs> like it was so painful. Um, mm -hmm. so if that's something you're experiencing, yes, go to public floor physical therapist. And then you want to take out any kind of single leg or transfer kind of movements and bring your stance closer. So that's like my, quick coach pitch to anybody listening. Those are a few things just to be mindful of. I'm appreciative that you brought up that sentiment or those, yeah. that symptom. A lot of it's fear-based movement. So when you think it's going to hurt, it like amps up the, the pain. Yeah. So when I learned to just kind of relax and actually let my body move the way it should move, it really, really helped, but it's really yeah. hard to get your brain to be like, it's not going to hurt. Just like take the sept and like relaxing really helped. It's like that over tension yeah. can be like, you think it's stability, but it actually creates more pain. So learning to, for me to let go and roll and breathe really, really helped reduce some of like, even in the inflammation too, down there right. um, a lot. Our high tension athletes, which is most female yeah. athletes carry a yeah. lot of tension there, squeezing the pelvic floor, the glutes, and that can be 
that can create a lot of different symptoms. That's one of them, but also like incontinence or prolapse and things like that. Yeah. What was it like coming from honestly a gymnastics brain of like perfection and a high priority of aesthetics to see your body change so much during pregnancy? You know, I, I generally, like there was part of me that was deep down worried that it was going to draw out old insecurities or old things that like never used to face me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because I am one of the, I, I, I say this with like grain salt, but I was one of the very few that my eating disorders, my body dysmorphia, all of those things that typically can plague someone for the rest of their lives, even if they manage it, I completely was able to cut it off, like the growth from it and it not phase me. Um, so when I was pregnant, there was part of me that was worried that that might kind of trickle back into my life and bring up some of that past stuff that I worked so hard to defeat. Um, but it, I genuinely was able to like, there was no hatred towards it, but there was no like, oh my God, like I I love it, but I felt beautiful. I actually felt beautiful. And then just neutral about my body changes, understanding like this is temporary. Like my body has to change. It has to grow. It's going to grow. Um, and really like, again, it's a mindset shift. You have to switch your mind about the changes and just having a neutral stance about all of it. You don't telling a mom to love her body when she is struggling the way it looks, isn't really helpful information. So just telling her just like, it's temporary. It's you're neutral about it, I think is always good. But for me personally, I always felt really, really beautiful um, and empowered during pregnancy, especially when I popped, but I didn't pop till later. So I will say there was a part of me that just felt like a loaded Tootsie Roll for a while because yeah. no one could tell you're pregnant and you just feel really bloated, really <laughs> swollen and bloated. And then like people would be like, is she pregnant? Is she not? Yeah. Um, so there was a bit of insecurity during that phase until I finally popped and people were like, oh, she's pregnant. Yeah. Totally. But there was a, there was a, an adjustment period. But with my second, I, it was, I, I um, didn't really struggle with any of that kind of rhetoric. Good. And so then what was birth and postpartum like for you with your first? Um, so my, with my first, I went to, into it, like, I want to do the whole natural route. Um, but I was like, I didn't have a plan. Like it, what happens happens, but I want to go natural and I wanted to do it in a hospital. Um, but I really realized that what I really wanted and the, the environment I was putting myself in weren't really meshing very good. So I didn't get the support that I wanted. And so my hospital birth was a bit like kind of a, a bit traumatic just because of the nursing support that I had. Um, it was a 26 and a half hour labor. My uh, doctor always told me that I had to always consider maybe having a C-section because I had a breech baby and being an athlete and narrow hips, she kind of fueled this fear that like my baby wasn't going to fit. Baby's already going to choose it. And then when I was in the hospital, had the epidural, put me on Pitocin and I still wasn't progressing. She was like, you do, you need to start thinking of a C-section. So that was kind of like hard um, especially because I wanted to experience vaginal birth. And so just not, I think in the hospital, when you don't feel supported and they're pushing you away that you don't want to go, it's, it's a lot. Um, so, but he ended up, uh, I ended up dilating, um, had my son and it was, it was after that, it was a pretty easy process. I had a really, Jaden, um, was a kind of a unicorn baby. He was very, very easy. So I had an experience in that journey that was, I wish every mom could have, of course, there was like emotions and times where I was like, this is really, really hard. I can't adjust. But I, I had a, a, a very, very beautiful introduction to motherhood uh, with my first. And then my second was a whole nother story. All right. Well, tell, tell me about your second. What was your second experience like? 
um, through pregnancy? And then I know did most of it all hit postpartum for you? Yeah. So my second, I got pregnant during COVID. So there was a bit of a damper on that because like all the gyms were shut down. So I had to really, again, switch my mindset and like move at home. And um, for me, it's like, I, motivation always dwindles, especially when you're pregnant. So having like the routine of before of like getting in my car, taking my pre-workout, like driving there was like my like saw to actually go. So at home, it was really hard to like get into the movement. Um, so there was a bit of adjustment trying to get myself to move during that pregnancy, but um, it was short, like it was short lived. Once I got in the routine, I think everything just kind of shifts and you realize it's not so bad. This is actually re- really nice to be able to go work out outside in your back patio. Um, and I did not have any SPD this time. I did a really, really good job of trying to do the deep core work, stabilizing my pelvis. Um, I just had uh, sacrum pain. And I think part of it's just my gymnastics history being a bit more mobile and I am prone to that. Um, great, beautiful pregnancy. I loved I loved it. Trying to manage a kid and a job, that was a little bit of a stress, stressful during COVID. I think everybody was stressed during COVID. <laughs> um, but then I had uh, Josiah and it was a five hour birth. It was precipitous and it like emotionally was not what I was expecting. It was, I had contractions back to back, like no rest. There was like an underlying contraction the whole time. Come to find out it was because I was dehydrated. I guess if you're dehydrated during your labor, there can be a uterus contraction that never lets up. Uh, so drink your water during labor, ladies. <laughs> um, yeah, but he came so fast. I started labor at like five in the morning and he came by 10.05. Um, I labored at home for the most part. My doula came and then she was like, no, I think we need to go to the hospital. We drive to the hospital. I was in the back seat, just like losing it. Uh, contractions in the car is not a fun time. Um, get there. And they were way more supportive when I got there. My doctor wasn't there because I was 38 weeks in like three days. So I was early. So I had another doctor, but they called ahead. And it was just such a beautiful like relief from my past experience coming in and feeling supported. Um, they checked me on seven uh meters dilated. And then um, 50 minutes later, he was born. I had the ejection reflex and I, it was a bit of a traumatic because when she was checking me, she tells me I'm eight centimeters with a hard rim. So, you know, like you're not quite there, but so close. But while she was like checking me, I had a massive contraction and he started like, my body started pushing him out and she's like, no, don't push. You can't push. You're not ready. And I was like, listen, lady, this baby, that this baby's coming. Um, so my dual is frantic. She's running to go get the doctor. And then I was like panicking because like, as he was crowning, I was thinking I was like tearing my cervix. I was like, I'm not ready to birth. Like, oh my God, I'm not gonna have kids again. Like I'm destroying every, like there was a lot of adrenaline. So that was a bit traumatic. He came out stunned and purple. And so, and then I started hemorrhaging. So it was a bit of like a whirlwind, but they got him on oxygen. They stopped my hemorrhaging and they put him on my chest. And I look at Josh like 15 minutes later and I was like, I don't know if I want to do natural ever again. Um, So it was kind of like just, it happened so quick and so fast. My mind couldn't catch up. Um, But then, you know, uh, we bring him home. Everything's okay. And within like four days, we noticed like, I was like, I'm having to actually try to get him to go to sleep. This isn't newborn sleep, you don't, you know, they just sleep for the first three weeks. And so I realized that Saya was um, very, very alert and he was kind of already starting to be fussy. And I'm like, something's, something's not right. Um, and then he quickly started screaming all hours of the day and night. And it was, uh, 
trying to navigate a colic baby and figuring out why he's crying. Babies just don't cry just to cry. Um, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when they're like, colic, you just got to survive it and it'll, it'll simply pass. And it's like, no, like my baby's, there's something, he's hurt. <laughs> there's something wrong. Um, and I want to find out what that is. And so trying to figure out what was harming him or causing him pain was a, a really emotional task because you feel like you're helpless when you can't make your baby stop crying and then you can't figure out what's making them cry. Yeah. I relate to that a lot. My first was also very much like that. I tell everyone like from the moment I went into labor, it was just like, you're not in control anymore. And he had to be yeah. fed all the time, moving all the time, just constantly stimulated and was just crying. Like it, everything was hard. Nursing was hard. Naps were impossible. Like feeding him. Everything was hard. And now like he's 10 now, you never forget what your early seasons of mom life are like with a little one like that. But I mean, in some ways I'm like, Oh, it makes, it makes sense. He's just such a high energy, like fierce little spirit of a child now, but it is so hard surviving that. And you're right. I think like for me, I was so, um, I was so hell bent on only nursing that I actually think I wasn't producing enough and I wasn't supplementing with formula. I think he was just really hungry and I wasn't giving him enough, but that's perspective that comes years later. later. Like you didn't, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't think that at the time, it's just the perspective you get when you're saying like, there's gotta be something wrong. I'm like, well, maybe that was it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, with Saya, I, so I am one that gets an overproduction of milk. I go f- like my normal breasts are like A's. They're, they're teeny. And I actually love this part of pregnancy and postpartum. Cause I'm like, Hey, I have cleavage now, you know, <laughs> I got boobs. Um, but I, I get like an overflow. Like it's like those first few days of milk coming in, like it's all the way up to my neck, like the ducts and it's kind of, it's really painful. It's not fun. Like the, the pain of it, but like my babies both really struggle to handle the flow. So like, I know it's a blessing, um, but it's also like an aspect that I think some people don't realize that when you have an overflow, it is really, really stressful trying to get your baby to latch, trying to get them to have the flow, not have like reflux, like all of these things and navigating it. Um, So we, we went through food allergies with Saya, tongue tie, reflex, like all of the things. There was even things that we thought he might have like F pies and it was just emotionally daunting. He would scream in the car seat and some of our appointments were like 50 minutes away. And so like he would scream there and back and it was just, even at home, there was no schedule. We couldn't have a schedule because like it would take him an hour to get him down. He would sleep you know, 20 minutes and then wake back up and the process repeated and he was up every hour at night. And it was just, that's what catalyzed, like, I think the lack of sleep, the stress of not being able to like consult your baby. Um, and then all of the things, the motherhood, trying to run a business, you have another child trying to bring a friend, like just compiled. And I realized that like, um, I had postpartum depression, but mine didn't manifest in like what people typically think of like, uh, depression, sadness, and all these things, mind mess- managed in intrusive thoughts and rage. And I don't think that's talked about nearly enough in the in the the postpartum realm. And it's almost like a taboo with it because people judge it so harshly. So ha- being on someone that has like a platform where I kind of am honest to a fault, and sometimes it's a double-edged sword because people are so cruel on social media, um, trying to share that like, you're not alone if you're going through this because I I had never heard of rage or like the intrusive thoughts that I personally went through um, being shared on social media. 
Absolutely. And it's, you're right. Like it's so taboo, but it's also so incredibly common. And if you talk to any small group of women, there's a good chance that one of them in that group experienced some form of like postpartum depression in that capacity where it's not just the sadness and the tears. It's like, it's when you're so overstimulated that it turns into rage, like just like you're exhausted. And when you have a baby that won't stop crying, it pushes you to your absolute limits because you're exhausted and you can't fix it. And when you are a fixed minded person where you're like, I'm usually used to being able to, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get this result. It makes you crazy when you can't fix your own baby. Yeah. And even like the advice, they always say, okay, we'll get unstimulated, nurture yourself, like get some sleep. It, none of it works. So I, I realized I went to tons of different therapy. I realized a big aspect, um, this is just me personally, a big aspect of my postpartum rage was actually unresolved trauma from my childhood and moving on that I never really addressed. I'm a stuffer. I used to stuff. Um, that's gymnastics culture. Like you don't show emotions. You're tough. You're not dramatic. You don't cry. You just, you deal with it internally and you don't, like talk about it. Um, and so it was just kind of like indoctrinated that way. And I had amazing parents, but also like they were, they were um, not in like a, a direct way influenced that kind of mindset, but it, they didn't necessarily change that. Right. So when I was dealing with all of this, that all of that rate, like trauma, I stuffed and the lack of communication, I think just floodgated it out. And so I realized the more I worked on addressing old past and trauma and the way I behaved, the way I do as an adult, really helped how I was able to handle the rage long-term took a long time. (laughs) Didn't just take like a few months. It was, um, like two, two and a half years of therapy. And I still go to therapy. I'm a huge advocate of therapy. Even if like, you're in a good place, like therapy's great. (laughs) I am a fan as well. Therapy is, uh, saving my marriage It saved my marriage. It's, it's helped me personally. And, uh, I think it helps also with like business. Like it's like the true kind of business coaching you need. It's like you have to be invested in improving as a human if Mm -hmm. you want your impact to change the world. So I'm also a huge fan. I, in like the effort of transparency, I think like a rage moment for me when I had Cade was like, he was early, early baby, like a couple weeks old. And it was like the middle of the night. And he was screaming and crying. And I like just yelled at him. Like I yelled at a freaking newborn where I was just like, stop fucking crying. Like, and that mm-hmm. was like my moment. I feel like there's always like a pivotal moment that you never forget of like your shittiest mom moment. Like that was definitely a top five for me was like, I cannot believe I just yelled at a newborn. Like clearly there's something wrong with me and there's yeah. something wrong with him. And I can't figure this out. And I think I shared that, now. I share that for years because I was like, I freaking monster like and I feel like neurotic but also Mm -hmm. like later you can hear like so many people felt like that and they just there's Uh, no good place to share that without them thinking like you're abusive I remember just uh, I'll probably get hate for saying this but I generally remember like just wanting to like just throw my child like just throw my child like I I want to throw him against the wall like I want the noise to stop and those intrusive thoughts in my mind um, those were what made me have debilitating shame because everything you hear is like, oh, I accidentally fell down the stairs and I hurt my child. Mine were like these deliberate acts of wanting to cause harm. And then once that like anger flashes through your mind or the 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 images and you can't get them out, comes to an end and you realize what you were thinking, you're like, oh my God, like what is wrong with me? I'm I'm psychotic, like I'm crazy. And it, that was for me was the most debilitating, like shame of my postpartum depression is like realizing my thoughts and the, that anger and 
Um, no one talks about that because you're afraid of being judged or someone reporting you or you're like not fit to be a mother or, you know. It's all um, of that. And like, we're just desperately need support. Like my husband was working nights at that point in time and oh, I was no. so lonely. And I just, I, I literally felt like I was going to die. I was like, I am responsible for this human, but I can't sleep. I am trying to feed him. He won't latch. It's just mm-hmm. me. I'm screamed at all the time. I remember like, thankfully my sister lived close at the time, but I called her in the middle of the night and I was like, I, I literally can't do this anymore. Like I, I have to quit. Like yeah. I'm done. I can't, when Jared would leave for work, I would like have a panic attack because then I felt like I can't be alone with this baby. I can't be alone. Yeah. With him. He's too yeah. much for me. Like I'm not qualified to be alone with this baby. And again, mm-hmm. everyone thinks that like, you know, motherhood is so beautiful, but it can like really be so freaking intimidating. Oh yeah. And I think too, like motherhood draws out the best parts in you, but it also draws out the ugliest parts in you that you are like, oh, that's something that I didn't realize was there that I need to, to heal or work on or improve upon. Um, but it makes me have like such a, a huge admiration for single parents that mm-hmm. don't have a lot of support. Cause I'm just like my empathy for them just fucking source like it goes through the roof like I don't I I physically would not be able to do it and so to see that there are people out there that have that capacity shout out to you <laughs> yeah I mean I think it's like when you have no choice that's what my mom would always say because she was a single mom and she's just like you just there was no other choice you just had to oh. figure it out and like are you miserable for certain seasons absolutely but like then you figure it out so. but I do feel like that's life you just you just figure like it's shitty at the time, but you, when you go back to look at it, you're like, oh, I just, I took a step forward every single day, even if it was like minuscule, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get therapy for it later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go back and realize, oh, yeah. So fun. So fun. So you, you know, you really struggled postpartum with your mental health, with just adjusting to having two babies and his, his spirit as a baby. What is it like for you now? Where are you at now with your motherhood yeah. experience? And like, has it leveled? Is it still challenging? What kind of challenging? Yeah, so I'm in a place now. So um, during the last two years, like being what I like, I hate the, the phrase influencer because I I don't, I'm just a normal person in my day life. All my friends that like, it's weird to even talk about like my job because I don't really like people to know it in my real life. So I shared my life and that was what people expected me, workouts and all these things. And over the last two years, like that shifted dramatically. The way I worked out shifted. I don't, I didn't have the same schedule. I couldn't have the same schedule because of Saya running a business. So I stopped sharing less and less workouts and all these things. So there was a huge shift in like, what's my purpose? Like with my job and what I share and what I do. Um, And now it's, it's, I'm going through like an identity crisis with what I what I want to do on social media and what my purpose is and there is impact because influencer culture is a really big turnoff to me. Um, I don't want to be associated with it. I don't want to be grouped into that kind of category. And so there's part of me that's like, what road, yeah. <laughs> what road do I take? Like I, I cringe at um, the predatoriness, the people that are untrustworthy. They steal from people. They're just not great humans. And unfortunately there's a lot of not great influencers and there's a lot of them Um, and people I even know. And it's like, you see them online and you know them in person and you're like, (laughs) and I don't want to be a part of that. So I am going through a major like identity crisis with that aspect of my job um, outside of like the, our, our other company that me and my husband have, but 
I, I love sharing knowledge. I love sharing fitness. I love motivating, but it's like at what, at what cost? I don't know. So there, that, that's kind of like my mindset with like that aspect of my job. Um, but I have two crazy boys. Saya is still very, very much zero to 100 like he was as a baby. He is uh, <laughs> going to serve him both someday. I feel like he's going to be like a CEO or some leader because like you don't tell, it's like, you don't tell that child what to do. Like, it's always like, I'm trying to compromise, you know, I don't want to teach him blind obedience, but zero to hundred, very strong-willed, very stubborn, still very much does not sleep through the night, still at three years old. My focus now is mom life. And then um, growing our our company that me and my husband run together. It's a supplement company, but that's kind of what life looks like right now is like navigating social media a little bit, the app that I have, and then our supplement company. Yeah. Uh, obviously like a lot going on and it is, and I think it is hard when you've been in the game of like the fitness industry and in particularly like the online aspect of the fitness industry, like been in it a long time and it's so different yeah. when you've been in it a long time and like you see the bullshit, like you see yeah. how it's changed, you see who comes in, you see what is stolen or this or whatever. And like, you're right. It's so off-putting to have been in it for a long time and then see what it's kind of turned into and what the new norm is and not wanting to participate in it. Yeah. Like the filming culture too. Like I used to just film my workouts at the gym and I always try to respect like people in the background, but now it's like, I'm embarrassed. Like I literally get embarrassed, like having to film in the gym just because of that culture. Yeah. Um, it's just, and I feel like too, it's comes with age. Like I'm 33. So I'm not, you know, the 24 year old anymore. Like sharing work. It's just, it's just different. I totally agree. I just work out in my, in my garage early in the yeah. morning. I don't even like go to a normal gym anymore. Like it's just, I don't know. I wouldn't know what I would do if I was at a normal yeah. gym. I think I would feel so awkward, which is ridiculous. Cause like we, we are professionals. We should feel ridiculous I, in the gym. <laughs> yeah. I actually do like the gym. Like when I don't film, I love it because I, yeah. I, I get motivated too by people working out, like working really hard, like seeing someone kick ass in the gym. I'm like, Ooh, give me some of the energy. Like I want to kick ass today too. Like yeah. I love it. So I get fueled by that kind of energy, but like, I also understand too, like sometimes the gym can be it can be toxic a little bit, depending on like the kind of gym you go to and all of that. I stuff, get like but... that fix from jujitsu now. So I'm like, oh, good, yeah. I can get that from jujitsu, like my gym and like intensity fix there. And then like my, my lifting, like that can just be a me meditative thing. And I think yeah. that just shows like, so our training and our coaching and our fitness is just so seasonal with like what serves mm -hmm. us at different seasons. Sometimes it's yeah. being at home. Sometimes it's being in a gym. Sometimes it's yep. fitness. Sometimes it's a totally different sport. Oh yeah. Or just picking up like hiking. Like the summer I really enjoyed, we have like an incline and I enjoyed just like going and hiking that with my kids or walking and using that as like the movement for a couple that, you know, Yeah, it's always adjusting. It's always changing what you find motivating or what you find fun. Like my, my, my routine is not as strict as people think. Um, it's, I don't have a plan all the time. I just go in and do what feels good. 95% of the time with workouts. I think that that surprises a lot of people because I think they would yeah. look at someone like you and think like, she must be so meticulous with her training or her nutrition or her like disciplined lifestyle. When like, I try to tell people that if you again, have been an athlete for a long time or a coach for a long time, that means you know how to have adaptable discipline. It's not like hyper-focused discipline. It's mm -hmm. very adaptable. So what does that look like for you? 
Oh, uh, so I I like to call it a, like flexibility creates like consistency. So the adaptable flexibility, um, and then the all or nothing mentality kills more journeys than people realize. But I, for me, it's it's if I can't work out today, like no biggie. Like I know that there's going to be a day this week, or you know, like that I'm going to be able to get to the gym. So I don't let the stress of not being able to move my body or like not get after my goals. Um, impact me negatively now. Like I know it's going to be there. The gym does, the exercise doesn't go anywhere. I just get to choose when I get to do it and make time for it. If I can't make time for it today and it stresses me out more than the actual workout would give me, then it, there's no point in pushing myself to do it. Um, so for me, it's just doing what I can when I can and being okay with that in this season. But the key is I have to adjust my expectations of myself and my goals. I can't expect to have a PR or deadlift if I'm not putting effort into that, you know? Um, so all my goals are really more so just like, okay, I want to get better at uh, upper body movement. So then every time I have upper body day, I do more upper body, like body weight exercises. Um, I give myself tangible goals that don't have like a specificity that could maybe lead to disappointment in this season. Because yeah. um, for me, it's just, I want to move my body because it makes me feel good. And I hold on to that feeling. Um, and then if it means that like, I don't go to the gym and weightlift and I like go run to the park with my kids. It does that. Like I, it's always being okay with the unknowns that come throwing at your life every single day, especially in motherhood and family life and raising kids. Like it's always unpredictable. There's not always necessarily a set structure that um, you go by. And if you're rigid, you're not going to be able to be adaptable. Like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so, I hope that that gives a lot of people permission to not expect themselves to be the athlete or work out like they used to during a season where like the other day I said on social media, like it's hard to like, sometimes you have to do just the minimum when your life is operating at the maximum. So like you have to just kind of go through the motion some seasons and that's okay. Cause that will still serve you. That actually keeps you in the game. If you want to keep pursuing health and fitness in really sustainable ways, not just now in your thirties, but in your 40s, 50s, and beyond. Or even just 10 minutes. Like, I don't, I think people totally underestimate what 10 minutes of like hard movement can do for your mindset and just like still building upon that foundation of consistency and discipline. Like, if you're struggling with like movement, 10 minutes can really change your life. Get up and do 10 minutes of push ups and squat jumps or like whatever movement feels good to you and get that heart rate up and those endorphins going. And that 10 minutes will serve you. It all adds up. Um, if you can commit to 10 minutes, three times a week, then eventually that could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, 30 minutes of building that consistency mindset. Absolutely. And it brings me back to like the first part of our conversation where you said that just getting on your bike was enough of an endorphin, like rush and little dopamine hit to start to help you heal and feel better in your brain and in your body. And I think that's a really, I think that's a great point of reference to I don't know, just to really for everybody listening to take to heart is that that little bit can really add um, over time. Especially if you're a mom and you just had like a crying baby and they just went to a nap, like just going and doing 20 squat jumps and like 20 push-ups or whatever it may be to move your body, I think can really get you out of like that parasympathetic like or that sympathetic state and just be like, oof, I needed that release. Um, cause movement, I think is, it's so much more than just what it does for us aesthetically. Like that is like, that should be like the sprinkle you know, that people should focus on, like your why needs to be so much bigger than what you want to change about yourself physically. And it needs to come from a place of like, um, how it makes you feel and the health and, you know, yeah. moving with your kids and being healthy. 
Absolutely. And I remember like, I, for me, it was like, I needed to get outside. Like I would get so stuck being inside. And so then I would like take the monitor out I put it on my sidewalk and I would just like literally pace in front of my house where I'm like, I can't leave. I'm on a house arrest. He's napping, but like, also yeah. I just need to like move and like pace. And that was like, honestly, a significant strategy for my brain and just getting my body some more movement in like early mm-hmm. stages of motherhood. Yeah, when Saya was colic and Josh wasn't here and I wanted to get some movement, I would just hold him because he despised the carrier too. Like, passy, no bottle, no carriers, no, like, <laughs> wanted to be on a ball bounced and like up on my neck. So my back and neck pain was horrendous for like a year. But I remember when I would just walk and do lunges, walking lunges, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like just little things that made me feel like I was moving my body that felt good, getting a little bit more strength and, um, and being okay with that. Like, that's enough. Like, it doesn't have to be this extravagant plan to follow. Like I just move your body when you can't. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. You've shared yeah. so many like vulnerable points of your life and your experience as an athlete, as a coach, as a mom. And I think it's just really valuable for everybody listening. And it's just an awesome perspective. And you've given, I think, a lot of women permission to just, you know, kind of do what they can during every evolving season. So where can people thank find you. you, learn more about your businesses, et cetera? Yeah, so I'm on social media. So I mainly I mainly just do Instagram because managing all the social medias is just yeah. I, my brain can't handle it anymore. Um Hannah Bauer 2 is my Instagram. Um and then our supplement company, it's bridging the gap between performance and more natural based that you can trust. Like we have uh informed sport uh certification, third-party testing. We really value like what we have in our products. You can trust that it's there. So our supplement company is 22 Nutrition. There's a whole meaning behind that. Um that goes with like my dislocated elbows, but you can find us there. And then I do coaching now on like an app. Um, and then I have a resource that I made with physical therapists for like all things education, um, for core guide that's on my website too. It's all found on a link in the bio and the IG. So awesome. well, thank Simplify you so much it. for sharing. We really appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the practice brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified 
pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you. And please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Thank you.